0: And welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with yet another high demand coach. That is Dominic Monkhouse. He's a master business coach, founder and CEO of Monkhouse & Company. It's a no-nonsense coaching company that helps entrepreneurs, CEOs and their leadership team reach their goals faster. He's a proven architect of business growth and has delivered revenue growth from zero to get this $30 million in five years. And he did it Twice, Although much of his experience has been with technology firms, the frameworks that he uses can be applied to any business in any sector. And he's helped businesses in the UK, Ireland, here in America, over in Australia and the Philippines as well. Well, Dominic, such a pleasure and delight to have you here. I can't wait to unpack this, uh, the story of of what was going on. So let's start there. Talk to us a little bit before we get into all the coaching that you're doing now. Tell us a little bit. How did you do it from zero to 30 million twice? Uh,
1: lucky i mean you be in a market that's going up that helps uh, find and differentiate your business so that it's unique that helps and you know i'd i'd found myself at a i was, <laughs> I was running a, a crm consultancy business that got acquired in the dot com bubble and we had to flip that to a web hosting company and then i joined this nascent web hosting company called rackspaces employee number 120 and we took that. We took the UK business in a recession. In fact, the business was due to be sold the day after 9/11. So after 9/11, oh we had 90 days of cash left, and I'd been there two weeks. And the question was, should we close the UK business down or keep it? We kept it. We got it to we got it to 30 million. Then left that and did a turnaround. I didn't actually know how bad that was, but I turned up when we were losing at IT Lab. We were losing about 65,000 pounds a month. So we had. We had ninety days of runway; otherwise, we were cl- turning the lights off. That was wow. uh, 2000 and, 2007, So another recession. Uh, we met. Ma- we survived. I uh, was there for two years. We turned that around, and then I joined. I got asked to join a Canadian business called Pier One Hosting, which was, I suppose, a competitor to Rackspace. And could we build another? Uh, could we build a UK competitor to them? And so we did. We did that and built. Got that business to thirty million. Got it to two hundred million globally. Sold it for six hundred and eighty-five million Canadian dollars. And along wow. the way, we hired hired one hundred and twenty people in the UK. Built the greenest data center in the UK. Had a lot of fun. That's awesome. And then, and then I thought, okay, let's have a pause. I had, I had a small child, and I just thought, you know, I'll pause. And I didn't expect. I didn't expect to now be a coach still. I I didn't quite know what I was gonna do then, but I thought let's take a time off from having a proper job and flying around the world and I'll do something else. I'll learn some skills and be a better CEO the next time. And then I've just got stuck doing this and this is the most fun I've ever had. So
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, so now you're, you're sitting on the other side of the table, if you will, uh, helping CEOs that are trying to scale. What would you say is some of the most important work that you're doing right now as a coach? <sighs> Well, I so I think people come to me because they have
1: they have a they have a problem, you know they know sales isn't quite working, or they you know they've got a positioning problem, so there's sort of a sales and marketing growth thing. that's one problem. or they're growing so fast they've got this Ferrari, and they're in the fog. And they'd love to put their foot down, but they can't see past the end of the bonnet, and so they're terrified by that. Most of the CEOs I work with are running the largest company they've ever run, and their leadership teams are likewise in the biggest jobs they've ever had, and so there is a sense of foreboding, if you like. This, this is all going too well. Something is about to happen, um, and so they they come looking for often for those. Oh, they're trying to build culture or hang on to culture as they scale, Uh, and I think often. One of the things that they haven't thought about that we uncover and work with them on is the is the people interaction. So one of my mantras is no company outperforms its leadership team. And, you know, if I'm thinking about working with a client and they're on a 10X journey, well, for the people in this room to be in the same seats when we've 10X this business, they're yeah. gonna have to grow 10X. Yeah. And I think that comes as a surprise to most people. They think the business is going to grow 10X and I'll be okay because I'll be easier. In this chair. <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah, maybe I've got more staff, right? So, so uh, I hadn't thought about it being easier, but they sort of, you know, that. But then, you know, there's always a couple of weak links in the team, and how do you get over that interpersonal challenge? Sometimes that's global, sometimes it's cultural differences. Maybe they're doing a whole load of acquisitions, and there's some integration that we've got to do, or as they grow. Their product portfolio proliferates, pr- pr- and they get their revenues going up, but their profit starts to go down. And how do we overcome that? So it's mostly I'm working with companies that structurally. It's a growth, re- growth related challenge, but I really enjoy working with the team on how do we make this team a better team? Mm. And most people are, I mean, most people have never been trained to interview and they're interviewing. So, and so, and But sometimes people have been trained to interview, but almost never have people been trained to how to build a high-performing team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true. I-, I love it. So no company outperforms its leadership team. One of the things that I've found working in a similar space is very few teams, you know, the starting team and the ending team I'm working with are the same right uh, and there's this natural desire and I understand it and I'd like for you to speak to it but uh m- you know most CEOs you go and ask them like do you want this team to be the one that takes you you know 10 million to 50 million 50 to 250 whatever it may be they're they're going to say yes there's a comfort with their team most of the time even if there's difficult things uh, but generally that's not the case uh, how how do you approach that with a, a CEO uh, and how do you help them really you know get through like you talked about the interpersonal side of that, I difficult conversations are difficult for a reason. I mean,
1: we call them that because nobody likes to have them. Um, some CEOs are better than others at having difficult conversations, but I would say the sort of entrepreneurial CEOs that I typically work with are often particularly poor. At holding people to account, that often shows up when they turn up and there's a leadership team of fourteen or sixteen people, because they've never been able to tell anybody they're not on the leadership team anymore, yeah. and um, and so and and they're not particularly good at building a culture of accountability, and it's in some senses it, it can be overwhelming. So I say, look, we've got what we've got to do is we've got to get the team to help, hold each other accountable, um, and we might have some there might be some bullies on the team. We've got to Sort that out, um, and if you fix it, the dynamic changes. But often the dynamic is then not the same for everybody. So you know, I'm just thinking about a team where there was a couple of sort of alpha male, strong characters in a team that then uh, left over a period of time. Well, what that 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 was actually being used as an excuse by some people that they couldn't get everything done. Yeah. And then they, be careful what you wish for, because that gets fixed. And it's like, actually now, we now actually all have to deliver on. I suppose it's a bit like the goal scorers in a soccer team. You know, if the if the goalkeeper keeps letting all the goals in, the sock, you know, the strikers like, Well, it doesn't matter that i not very good. We're losing. It's obviously we're losing because the goalkeeper's rubbish. You put yeah. a good goalkeeper in and then the spotlights on somewhere else in the team. Um, and so I think those they they come out in a series of Exercises we'll get the team to do. Um, and uh, sometimes they just crop up in really unusual places. and if i if I can, I'll get the team to stop and reflect on something that happens, because I'll say that thing that just happened, okay? So why did you all behave the way you did? Why did everybody else sit in the room and pretend it hadn't happened? Yeah Why has nobody in the room? stepped in and said there's a thing going on here that we need to fix this is undermining the team we often do an exercise where we ask people to identify who they believe in the team are the two weakest links Wow! and on one occasion we had one guy he didn't put himself down but everybody else had him and somebody else so uh and he he took it he took it very well but it was complete news to him wow that everybody else in the team thought his relationship with somebody else was the weakest link in the team and and so sometimes people just have total blind spots uh, about that. Um, and then, if you can get them to work on that, see that that's the blind spot, work on it, and improve it, then the whole team can take take a step forward. but yeah. nobody wants to nobody wants to bring it up because they don't feel they have the tools to bring it up and fix it. They feel as yeah. though if they bring it up
0: it's just gonna make it worse. Yeah, because I, I, you, brought, you brought up a great point and that is that there, there's kind of two big transitions that have to happen. You've got to get the right team in place, but you also have to get the tactics and the structures and everything right at the same time. And those almost feel like they're completely opposite things. One's kind of like messy and interpersonal and like, is it, is it not? The other one is super like nuts and bolts, almost boring, you know, and both of them are hard. Uh, Why is it that you have to have both of those things happening at the same time?
1: Well, I, I, here's a good analogy. Say I've got a personal trainer who said until we, we can't load you up until you can squat properly. And it took him 18 months to get comfortable. The fact that I had been, I was able to squat properly. And then he said, now we can load you up. Um, and so one of those things is just training and sort of muscle memory. We haven't done any work yet. All we're we're still sort of playing around, so it's quite enjoyable. There's no great weight. It's sort of frustrating, but we're getting there. And then it's like now we need to just lift weights like three times a week. Now you've got to do a load of work. And so often you've got you're teaching people a framework, and then they go, "Okay, got that." And you go, "No, no, no, no. What you've done is now you know what you're supposed to do. Now you need to do the work." Right look there are plenty of people listening to this podcast even who m- wish they weren't as large as they were wish they were somehow thinner wish they were somehow fitter or you know maybe they wish they spoke a foreign language and they don't and it's like you've got to focus on the few things you want to do and then you've got to put in some effort yeah and so often there's there's you know once you can show people the problem show people how to solve it you still have to do the work and so all the frameworks in the world and and the difference between having the framework and doing the work, I think then is 10 X you can 10, that, that team can be 10 times better than average. Yeah. And the average, th- there might be some teams who know some of the frameworks, but you still got to, you know, learn how to squat and then load the bar up.
0: Yeah. That's a great, and, and, great analogy.
1: And, and, and when, um, Oh God, I know Malcolm Gladwell talked about 10,000 hours, but the guy who wrote, range had written another book whose name escapes me. I'd written another book about sports performance. And he looked at those, the same people that Gladwell was referring to the violinists or the viola players from the Viennese orchestra who, and that what was interesting is they all had talent. And even the people who did 10,000 hours who went on to be soloists, none of them enjoyed practice. Yeah. But the people who went on to be soloists did, you know, they, They practice the right things with enough intensity. You know, Tiger Woods out playing in the rain, in the dark, you know, you don't. And so I think that's, and you can't motivate people that has to be from within. Hence why purpose Mm -hmm. is so important. Yes. Because when it's raining and you need to be, you need to be practicing or learning. Then without purpose,
0: you're just going to give up. Yeah. So it's a fascinating thing because in the sports world, there are, are discrete moments of practice and discrete moments of of play. You're in the game, you're, you know, or you're, you're, you know, on the field practicing in, in business, we don't necessarily have the benefit of a scheduled time that you're in the game, right. When the opponent is there. So it's a lot muddier, the difference, but when you look at, I mean, sports teams will spend somewhere around, you know, seven to 50 times as much time in practice as they do in the real game. Uh, but in in business, it's kind of like we're always in the real game. So, how do you practice this stuff?
1: I I think you got to carve out time. And you, I don't know about you. Look, I dr- if I drive, I drive a lot, but I'm not practicing. I'm just driving, right? If you if you are a Formula One driver, you don't just aimlessly drive around. You know, you just you 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 are analytical about the things where you are losing time relative to the pace or the winners, whatever it is, you get specific and then you say, right, I am going to over index on this until I do it without thought. And then I'm okay. I I was with a client the other week and I was doing a presentation. And one of the, the chief revenue officers said to me later, he said, as you were talking, he said, I thought to myself, I thought that was what I thought. And then I realise it's something that you've said to me so often over the last eight years that it's now just in my brain, and I can't tell the difference between what I thought before I met you and what I now think as a result of having worked with you. It's just there, and so he doesn't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you have to find the find the area of weakness. Then you've got to say, how are we going to fix it? Then you've got to find time. And uh, you know, most people spend about four hours of useful work a day whether they're working from home or in, in the office. And so there's there, there's always time if yeah. you want to put the time in. And people just say, oh, I'm so busy, I haven't got time. And the the winners put the time in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. So what would you say are some of the biggest mistakes the CEOs you're working with are making that have, that are preventing them from really being able to achieve scalability?
1: I, uh, occasionally go back and read the works of Jim Collins and I did that, did that last year and I came away going, I knew that the people, the right people in, on the bus in the right seats was important. Uh, but I now push people really, really hard, push people much harder on that than I did before Yeah, because I think they are often they're settling for a B player. And an A player would be five to 10 times more productive for no more money. And they're just thinking, oh God, the effort. And what if I get it wrong? And so they're playing not to lose rather than playing to win. Mm. And I had this conversation with a client who's been with us this week. You know, They've got a plan to 5X their business in the next few years. And we redid the numbers with my aspiration on it. And it was to ten x their business, and then that forced them. If if they did accept my numbers, which they said okay, they we're prepared to play the mind game. If they did, then that forced them to look at some of the people they had in some of the seats. And if they kept the people in the seats, they could maybe do five x. But if they wanted to do ten x, they weren't the right people. Yeah. And so I find often it's it's that where are we settling? Uh, you know. And I was on the phone to another client today. And, you know, they've got, they're completely the opposite. They're like, I want for every seat on our boss, I want the best person in the world. And their ambition is, is strikingly different. Wow. They, they've, and so they're growing 10% a month and they're a hundred million pound company. Right. So yeah. I, have, I have people going, oh, you know, is that possible? Could I really get somebody better and then you've got other people who just say we're going to go into the transfer market. We're going to get amazing people. Amazing people will want to join a winning team. 10% a month growth at hundred million is,
0: is a winning team. Yeah. Remarkable. Remarkable. Uh, all right. So here's a question I like to ask all my guests and it's this, what's the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody listening today knew? Uh, look, I'm, I say this all the time and people still don't believe me, but I don't
1: believe you have to pay great salespeople commission. Well, wow. And the sales world hates me. And whenever I say that, I get hate mail on LinkedIn, but you don't have to pay great people commission. Great people are motivated by money. People are motivated by money. Salespeople are people can't find evidence to say that salespeople are different to people and that there is a certain type of person called salespeople who you can actually motivate with money. I think maybe I'm thinking, I'm thinking about stuff which is cognitive as opposed to transactional. Maybe you can get people to do piecework it with money, but that's not what I'm thinking of here. I'm thinking about consultative selling. Persuading somebody, persuading you to do something today that you weren't going to do this morning when you were brushing your teeth. That's selling. Anything else is taken in order those people don't do that for the money. The money might be a proxy for something else, but so that, and often I say that to CEOs and they say, why has nobody told me this before? I'm spending all this time trying to build a compensation plan that doesn't destroy the business and doesn't make people envious and doesn't annoy everybody. And and now you're telling me I didn't need to do that. Why, why, Why is this a secret?
0: Yeah, uh, it, it was. Um, oh, I've just totally lost his name. In Drive, um, uh, Pink, Daniel Pink. Yeah, that Pink. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, is right there with you. So uh, it's it's fascinating. Um, uh, I be, and I, I think you're onto something. And I think what it is, uh, and it, kind of tying together all the stuff that you said, we're kind of satisfied with someone else's advice as the truth. Right, you, one of the questions you said, "Where are we settling?" And sometimes we're settling in that we've never actually asked why.
1: Right? Why oh. is it? And those those beliefs that yeah. we hold, uh, and and it's just so the difference the difference between an opinion, something we hold to be an opinion, and a belief. I think you can find out whether somebody has a belief or not, and you say to them, uh, "What evidence would I need to give you so that you'd be prepared to change your mind on this topic?" And that's an opinion. And and but sometimes people have got something which is an opinion, it's just stuck as a belief. You know, if you say to somebody who believes the world is flat, what evidence would I give you to persuade you that the world is actually round? They just say, You can't. Can't give me any evidence. I've seen it all, it's not true. The words the world's flat. And so lots of people are hanging on to things like that. And because they don't challenge those beliefs, they're not curious. Mm. Um they they get stuck, it's a constraint, self-imposed constraint.
0: Uh, yeah, I could go on that for a very long time, but uh, that's so good. Uh, and uh, all right, But I'm going to shift gears instead. Uh, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, again, it's a question I like to ask each of my guests, but I'm going to have you take off your coach hat for a moment uh, and have you put on your CEO hat. You, you've done that thing. You've, you've run that race multiple times now, but to an extent with your coaching business, you're still there. So put on your, your CEO hat for a moment and tell us a little bit about what this stage of growth looks like for you and your business business. business? So I decided a few years ago
1: that, you know, we had to grow. I wanted to grow the business. And maybe I just can't help myself, but I think if you have a purpose for your business and mine is to demystify business growth for entrepreneurs. And so you are then compelled not to settle. You are compelled. I am compelled to try and grow the business and grow our influence and reach. I don't, necessarily need to make any more money to do that, but I need to say books, podcast, blog, you know, do all of that speaking maybe. But I think the, if I think about how I could, this business could transform, there's only me. So I've got to work out how to do less of, or how can I carry on do what I love doing, but then have other people do some of the work. So I've now got a number of associate coaches that we work with. We've delivered uh an online program to 150 executives in the last 12 months so that's something we we decided to do and then i think where the growth will come from from here is around a series of collaborations so i've got experts that i've worked with in sales marketing martech um valuation readiness for those clients who are looking to do to exit uh you know looking at a p lens and saying what would how do we structure your business so it gets the biggest multiple um, people who've built businesses and sold them around customer insight. And so got a great guy who I work with for that. And so I think it's it's putting together a, a sort of a collection of collaborators who solve really specific problems in a deep way. Because what I find often is a CEO said, we, we do some work and a CEO has a problem. And they say, Dom, do you know anybody? And I say, yes, I know this person. And they then don't go to market and get five quotes. They just talk to the person that i put them in touch with and hire them to do a piece of work. And so I think that becomes, because often those bits are holding the team back or holding the company back. Sometimes it's recruitment, sometimes it's some HR org, org stuff. And so I think that will be how to create this sort of team of experts. Mm. So I'm doing some coaching and they can plug some
0: holes. Yeah, it, There's so much power in having that um, because one of the challenges you face when you don't have a team that's working together side by side is, you know, everyone's got their opinions, right? Going back to your beliefs and opinions. And it's like, well, you have to do all of it this way. It's like, well, but such and just told me to do it this way. Right. And, and then CEO stuck there. Like this is supposed to be easier. And now it's harder because I have two people that I'm supposed to trust telling me the opposite thing. What do I do? So I love that you're doing that. It's a hard thing to do, but it, it's so rewarding when you can, Actually, see it work. Well, I I think I think because my
1: success at Rackspace and IT Lab and Pier One was built on Vern Harnish's Rockefeller habits, and now scaling up, I think you can agree a framework or a set of principles or even some tools, and so then people you aren't bringing in experts who are then disagreeing about how we do something. Right. It's like this is the framework, so if everybody's playing to the same framework then it's much easier to bring different people in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, fantastic. Now, I know there's some folks uh, here are listening and, and and I mean, just every word is like, we've got, I've got to hear more from this. So how can folks uh, get in touch with you, find out about the work that you do uh, and and even bring you in to help?
1: Uh, look, find me on LinkedIn, Dominic Monkhouse. There's only one of them, one of me. Uh, and monkhouseandcompany.com is the website. So go there, sign up for the weekly insights that we generate. Uh, Listen to the podcast, The Melting Pot with Dominic Monkhouse available wherever you get your podcasts. And if I can help in any way, just
0: let me know. Delighted to help. I love it. Well, Dominic, uh, just an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, So, so many rich nuggets in here. Uh, This is one of those episodes folks are going to have to go back and listen to again, right? Because I guarantee you missed about half of what Dominic was saying. So go back, uh, start at the beginning, listen to it again. Uh, You're going to pick up a whole bunch of stuff you missed the first time through. Uh, So again, thanks for being here. For everyone listening, you know that your time and attention mean the world to us. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did, and I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any of those episodes, go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you wanna know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.